Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. Incredible people doing truly amazing things as we continue to open up more and more opportunities of showing the love of God through our service. And so thank you uh, to uh, the volunteer engagement team as well as to uh, the couple hundred of you who serve every week. We really do uh, just count it a privilege to be able to work with each and every one of you. So into our topic, suffering sucks the life out of life. We know this. We've all experienced it. The shoe drops and it hit you by surprise because of course you were kind of cruising along enjoying life and now what are you waiting for? The other shoe because we know it's inevitable, right? We know that it is an inevitable part of life. We won't make it long in this life until we experience some sort of suffering. So how could a good God allow it? How could he do it? That's the topic as we continue in our Hard Questions series. It doesn't take long for you to accumulate massive amounts of examples of suffering. You could start globally and talk about the famines and the floods that are happening all over the planet the destruction of the planet, the wars and the rumors of wars. You don't have to go that far, though, because just speaking nationally, we talk about the addiction crisis and poverty and innocent young lives that are getting snuffed out, and we get overwhelmed. It just seems like so much misery. And, of course, it comes home as well. You've got professional insecurities and financial ruin. Not a week goes by where we don't hear people struggling with busted up families or the the ramifications of sexual abuse or some sudden terminal diagnosis. We experience it and we realize it is an inevitable and terrible part of our existence. How could a good God allow it. For the purpose of this series, we need to ask this question in a little bit of a philosophical way this morning. And so the way the atheist might phrase it is that suffering proves there is no God, says the atheist. This is really a philosophical debate, and it relies on the disciplines of logic, because in its strictest sense, What's really being said is that it's impossible for God and suffering to coexist. The idea goes something like this. 
God is all-powerful, and he is all-good. And yet, suffering exists. Since suffering exists, God is either unable or unwilling to stop it. Therefore, God doesn't exist. And of course, this is an emotionally compelling argument. But logically, it is fatally flawed. See, there are lots of possible scenarios that would prove this wrong. And many philosophers over the years have taken up this debate. And what they've pointed out is that the underlying assumptions are actually incorrect. Because, of course, one of the assumptions is that God can create any world he wants. And at first you might go, well, of course he can. He's all-powerful. Of course he can. He can do anything he wants. But that's not quite true. Because not even God could create a contradictory world. And I think sometimes we sort of lose that as, a, as an option when we're talking about it. Here, here's a, a silly example. Can God make a square circle? And of course you think, well, no, because if you make a circle into a square, it's, see, by definition, it, it can't. It's an absurdity. You, you, not even God, now God could change the definition for a circle, he could change the definition for square, and he could make all of us all over the planet think differently about it overnight, but he can't actually create a square circle. It's just simply an absurdity. And if God wants a world that includes free will, if God wants a world that includes free will, then not even God can create it free of suffering. Now, I need two volunteers to come on up. Want to come up? Perfect. You're right in the great location for it. Come on up. Come on up, Rick. All right. Excellent. We got another one? Yeah, we got... Here, come on up, buddy. We got a roadie coming up here, front and center. All right, we got a couple guys coming up. All right, I need just... Uh, we're going we're gonna, to... We're gonna, you guys... I got, I got props. All right, so you... You're going to be here in the happiness realm, and I'm sorry, you're in unhappiness. So, so right, that's right. All right, so we're going to have you stand over here. Now, here's the thing about, about happiness and unhappiness. Of course, it's going to be defined by what you consider to be happy, meaning your happy place is what we're looking for right now. And, and should, should I ask? No, I don't want to even tell you. I don't want you to, we'll just imagine what your happy place might actually be. So let's have you stand in the realm of happiness, all right? So we'll put that right down here, and you can stand in happiness. Now, here's the thing about happiness, and you're, you're going to have you, we're going to put you in the unhappy place. Now, here's the thing about this. The, the happy place and the unhappy place, you'd like to think that there are an infinite number of happy places. But because we live in an actual physical world, it might be that the happy place is the same for both of you. And it might be that there's actually only one. Like, for instance, it could be for you the happy place is a particular girl. You've got this spectacular woman in your life that you're going after. You're going to pursue her, and you want to marry her. And I know you're married, but you want to marry her and all this. I'm not, it's, 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 it's an example. Give me a break. No. So, so, you know, you, but what if it's the same exact woman? 
Or what if it's the job, it's the position in the company that you both work for, and both of you see the happy place as that one place. And, and it's that only, there's only one position. Only one of them is going to get it. You see, now free will comes into play, and you have to say, well, who's going to get that happy place? And you can come up with an infinite number of examples. That neighborhood, that house, that particular thing, whatever it is, as long as we are free to make our own decisions and pursue what we think will, will bring us happiness, there's, now how do, how do we fix this? See, there's not room in here for you to go take it. So how do we now get you into his happy place? I mean, there's only one way. I don't want to see it. <laughs> That's it. This is it. And, and, and so we now have. Now, you see, now, now you, of course, are going to have to be swapped out, unfortunately, to the unhappy place. And this is really, this is one of the, the main premise behind this idea that if there is free will, and, and, and we can make decisions that impact other free will people, then the possibility for pain, the possibility for suffering and for loss has to exist. If God wants to create a world where free will is key, then the possibility of pain has to exist. Now, there's another assumption here. The assumption that God wants a world without suffering, that he wants a world without suffering. And of course, you'd say, he would have to want a world without suffering, except suffering can lead to great good. Because here we have, once again, the atheist has a problem. We have this assumption that we all know, or I should say not an assumption, but the reality in that we all know examples or circumstances when allowing suffering is actually for the greater good. So we have a couple of we have a couple of props here. Let me see who who you are. You you can go ahead and turn that one over too. All right. So now you're at the gym. All right. This is your prop here. You hold on to that for just a minute, and then you're you're at the gym. So how how much can you curl? Come on, man. You can do the whole fifty. All right, all right, all right, let's see. It's not shaking up the bottom here. Let's get to 45. Uh oh, there we go. We got you, 45s. All right, there you go. All right, now, we all, let's see. Dude. All right, man. Can you do it while I'm holding your bicep? Uh, all right, so. Now, we all understand what's going on here, right? You use weights, you're, you're doing a curl, you're tearing it down, right? We all know this. We tear it down, we build it up, you push through the suffering. Let's make it look like, go for it. Just, you know, yeah, like, you know, it's work, it's pain, and it's worth it. Now, it's a, it's a simpler example, but you can put it down anytime you need to put it down. <laughs> because... We recognize that there are circumstances when the, the, the pain that we experience will actually result in something good. So this restrictive argument related to this more philosophical debate has been long shown to be logically bankrupt, which a lot of folks don't realize. They still hear it and they think that it is a logically consistent argument. And it isn't. 
it has long been shown bankrupt. So much so that even atheistic philosophers will no longer use this most restrictive version of the argument because it simply is not true that suffering can prove that there is no God. So you'd say, well, all right, let's not try to prove it. Let's tweak the argument just a little bit. We tweak it and we say, at the very least, suffering makes the existence of God unlikely. This is a more nuanced argument, and the burden of proof is much, much lower. So it's a more powerful argument. The idea here is that surely God could have reduced the amount of suffering in the world while not reducing the goodness in the world. So it's simply unlikely that a, God, that a good God exists. So that's kind of the idea. It's unlikely that God could have good reasons for allowing all this suffering. Once again, though, not true, because God is, in fact, infinitely wise, and we are not. So, know what this is? Huh? Yeah, I think yep, I am not going to make you wear it. Don't worry. It has nothing. <laughs> it's not like that. Now, this is, this is my dog, all right? This is Barley. It's actually both of my dogs. So, Barley's the good dog, and Pepper's the other one. And, uh, and so Barley, he's up front here, and he is really cute. He's, our, he's, he's been with us 10 years. He's fantastic. We love him to death. Now, would you hurt my dog? You would never hurt my dog. But would you ever put that on my dog? If needed. If needed. And there would be circumstances where, of course, it would be needed. We had one, actually. We took him. So he had, like, seasonal allergies or something, which who knew dogs get seasonal allergies, right? So he, got, he had seasonal allergies, and uh, he ended up biting his tail a lot, and, uh, which is, I think, good that, you know, we can't reach our backsides, because, like, he was biting his tail and went raw, and he couldn't stop, and it was really horrifying. Got all, like, all infected and stuff, so we brought him to the vet. The vet decides that he has to strap him down, muzzle him, and shave his back end right over all the sores and the bloody, it was, you could hear him, I, I had to leave there, he was, he was howling, he was barking, he was crying as if saying like, why are you letting them do this to me? And then of course they stuck him in this for weeks. It was terrible, but of course necessary. And every one of us knows circumstances, situations. I mean, Barley's cute, but he's a dog. He doesn't understand any of this. It is simply beyond him. And that's where we find ourselves when it comes to the work that God is doing in the world and in our lives. How can we really know? We are infinite. I mean, God is infinite. We are finite. We are limited in our knowledge. If God exists, he by definition is simply wiser than us. And in order to achieve what God is trying to accomplish in the world, he may have to allow a great deal of suffering in order to accomplish it. Can we just thank our volunteers for coming up? You guys are amazing. You need to leave them right there. I, I'll move it. I can move it. What do you want me to move it for you? You think because you're a roadie? I can only start Maybe if it was 50, I wouldn't have done that, but I had to drop this to a 45. 
So, see, what if the amount of suffering in the world after free will is factored in is exactly the right amount needed to bring about the maximum amount of goodness and joy? It's certainly possible. In fact, many would say even probable. Some, you've heard of like chaos theory, they have this butterfly effect, some of you hear the butterfly flaps, it makes a storm over here. The point is that, that every action or even inaction has ripples that extend not simply a few days or even weeks. Did you know that some actions extend centuries and longer? How can you know what happens today isn't going to have an impact thousands of years from now. You don't. In fact, we have so many examples where that's exactly what took place. There's this great story in uh, the New Testament. It's uh, the book of Philemon. It's a story about a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus, he ran away from Philemon, his master. Both of them became Christians. Paul found Onesimus. This is like the Cliff Notes version. Sent him back to go to see Philemon with a letter, a short little letter that exhorted him, Philemon, in how he ought to interact with Onesimus. That little book, 2,000 years ago, laid the theological and ethical groundwork. It added to the conversation that later abolitionists used in England and in the United States to bring Western slavery to an end. Could Onesimus have ever known what his suffering would do? See, that's what takes place. We simply cannot know. And, and not to mention, every single one of us, if we talked long enough, you would find, you would all come up with plenty of examples of personal experiences of suffering that led to something good, if not great, in your life. We'd all have them. Tim Keller, he said it like this. Though none of these people who suffer are grateful for the tragedies themselves, they would not trade the insight, character, and strength they had gotten from them for anything. With time and perspective, most of us can see good reasons for at least some of the tragedy and pain that occurs in life. Why couldn't it be possible that from God's vantage point, there are good reasons for all of them? It's important for us to remember this. There are also reasons to believe that suffering and God are fully compatible because suffering is evil because there is a God. And I think sometimes this gets dropped out of the conversation. There is no possible way outside of belief in God that you have the ability to call suffering bad. If all of the world is simply a product of natural occurrences, if this really is a Darwinian ethic, then, then a massive flood that kills thousands of people is the moral equivalent of stepping on an anthill. It's irrelevant without God. The very fact that we have passion in this, in this question, the very fact that it troubles us and it keeps us up is, is actually evidence that there is a God. 
See, you strip God out of the equation and moral arguments are no longer possible. And if you say suffering is bad, then you're making a moral argument and they're only possible if there is a God who is good. This is one of the key things that led the atheist C.S. Lewis to change his ways and repent and embrace the Christian faith. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You see, evil and suffering is even more problematic for atheism than it is for Christianity. Now, you might say, fine, so... God exists, evil and suffering exist. I can't argue against it philosophically, but it still makes me angry and hurt and disappointed with God. And now we get to the crux of the issue. This is the emotional problem of evil. And so far I've been dealing with the more intellectual problem of evil. And I understand, listen, if you're here this morning and you are in fact suffering, if you are going through a difficult, a trying time, then much of what I have said so far has sounded cold or even uncaring and certainly unrelated to your situation. And I am sorry for your suffering. The reality is that I've taken a more philosophically uh, directed position here this morning just because the series has sort of demanded it and I needed to tinker with it a little bit. But now I want to move our thoughts just a little bit closer to the heart. I want to to explain that, that our Christian theology actually offers a better backdrop to understanding and dealing with our suffering and the evil that is in the world. And it does so better than any of the worldviews that are out there. It gives us the resources and the tools and the hope that we actually need when we are experiencing heartache. Open, if you would, in the Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It's a short little passage written by the Apostle Paul who had experienced an incredible amount of heartache and suffering. He had all sorts of betrayals and beatings and, you know, he was stoned and left for dead, you know, with rocks, not weed. Um, So, like, really rough, rough time, and then ultimately was martyred for his faith. In verse 18, he says, that I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We might get angry. We might get hurt. We might be disappointed with God. But the scriptures tell us that humanity is in a state of rebellion against God. And that's why the world is the way it is. And yes, we need to repent. But it explains that it's not the way it's supposed to be. Verse 20, he says, creation was subjected to frustration. You go back to the beginning and you find out why and how it got subjected. It's because of us. And so much of this misery and heartache is because we have unleashed it on each other. And God says, it isn't the way it's supposed to be. Other philosophies will say, ignore it or it isn't real. They belittle your suffering. And the scriptures say, no, it's real. And it has a cause and it has a solution. We also find out that God's purposes extend beyond this life so that the good that comes from our suffering will extend into eternity. The ripples will keep flowing out for all of time. Look at verse 23. He says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He's saying, this isn't the only life there is. You're not going to die, be reincarnated, and come back and suffer as a cockroach. That's not the reality. When this is all wrapped up, we have the opportunity to enter into the redemption of our bodies where the suffering will finally and ultimately end. And the good that takes place here isn't the only good that comes out of our suffering. It will extend into the next life. All, we also find out that the chief purpose of life is not happiness. And that's a key thing for us to remember. But instead, it's about a relationship and an experience of God. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Listen, it's not about being happy here because there is so much more to our lives than whether or not we get a good chuckle every day. The pain and the heartache can drive us into an experience with God that we will be able to relish for all of time. We also find out that one day our suffering will be turned into glory. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We have these spiritual muscles that are being torn down and rebuilt. We're patients at a divine doctor, a divine vet who knows better. And one day it will be turned into glory. We have this a woman here in the church, Mylene, she is a beautiful soul. She's a part of the congregation, and she has endured a tough run. Here's a bit of her story. Uh, my name is Mylene. Uh, I was involved in a car accident in 2014, uh, and from that moment on, staggering uh, health problems uh, just uh, blow out of proportion. Uh, I have had um, multiple diagnoses, and one of them is fibromyalgia. Um, I also have depression and anxiety. Uh, to translate it simply, 
I cannot sit, walk, talk, uh, think, breathe without pain. Uh, it is a 24 7 365 cycle. Uh, I have constant headache, dizziness, um, memory lapses, uh, difficulty talking, uh, pain, um, facial pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, uh, back pain, leg pain, hip pain, everywhere, just everywhere, and it just doesn't go away. Um, medical treatments and procedures does take some edge off, but the pain is still there. Uh, it just doesn't completely go away. I was angry with God. I was angry because I don't know why He allowed for this pain, this unrelenting and merciless pain to happen. It doesn't have a clear path. Um, if He is good, He's merciful, forgiving, and loving, and and he is everything that we say he is. Why? But it is in those moments that I struggled and wrestled with God that I found a closer relationship with him. It is in those moments of desperation and anger and anguish and complete surrender that I found God in a more profound level. Uh, when I fall down on my knees, crying and begging for the pain to stop, it is there that I found uh, the loving God. The closeness that I feel to Him is much deeper uh, before everything that happened. Um, my trust in him it's so much deeper as well there is a blessing in the wrestling that we go through god has a purpose for me i don't know i don't know and i don't understand why this thing happened, but I know he's preparing me for something bigger. And I know that through me, people will see that God is merciful and loving. Christian faith has offered Mylene and many others great hope. We go through the scriptures and we see what God values and what the future holds and how he works that in our lives. And we get to catch a picture of this when we, when we recognize that it is only in the Christian faith where we see that Jesus entered into human suffering. So here's what we get to know. We get to know it for certain. The God-man made himself vulnerable. He faced persecution, temptation. He suffered brutally. He was betrayed. 
by those closest to him. He felt severe isolation from the Father. He was humiliated by those that he loved. And in all of this, the scriptures tell us that he did this to bring an end to our suffering. So I, we may not know what your suffering is all about, but we know what it does not mean. It does not mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't. He's proven his love by suffering in our place. And there's nothing quite like that to bring us back into humility and hope. I want to encourage you when bad things are happening to good people, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray and ask God to take it away, to help you endure, to give you insight and understanding and know that it, it drives you closer to God. I encourage you to trust submitting yourself to a powerful and a wise and a good God and try to remember his past faithfulness and trust that some truly great things are going to result from the suffering that you experience in this life. And I want you to embrace it as an opportunity to grow, to use your suffering as a way to encourage others, to alleviate suffering in this world, to forgive people who caused your suffering, and to live the life of Christ. And to remember, remember Christ's suffering. We may not understand what our suffering means, but the example of Jesus lets us know that it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't care, that he doesn't care, that he's not involved. Quite the opposite. We have a hope in God that he redeems evil. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us we know that in all things you work for the good of those who love you and who have been called according to your purpose. And that's what we need, Lord. For each person here that is experiencing their own heartache and pain, Lord, I pray that you would meet them in that place. Lord, in the way, Lord, that they must trust in you, depend on you. For those, Lord, who are always fearful that something bad is about to happen, may they just embrace your goodness and your power and know that no matter what comes, that you are a good and a powerful God and that you're working out some great plan. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the example of Jesus who took the brunt of the suffering that we deserved as a promissory note of what's to come. We pray this all in Christ's name.